Living the Dream acknowledges the traditional owners of the land it is recorded on, especially the Jagera and Turrbal peoples, elders past, present and future, and their continuing struggles for justice and self-determination. Podcast. Living the Dream is an irregularly published anti-capitalist podcast from Brisbane. Rise like lions after slumber, in unvanquishable number. Shake your chains to earth like dew, that in sleep have fallen on you. Ye are many, they are few. G'day, you're listening to Living the Dream, uh, which is obviously everyone's favourite radical anti-capitalist podcast that comes out of Brisbane. We're really lucky today. We have been joined by Craig Gent from Navara Media. Craig, how are you? I'm very well, Dave. How are you? Oh, we want to talk about the UK general election. Are you just completely over the moon? It's, um, it's a really strange feeling because I think even... The uh, even the optimists among us um, were really expecting the Tories to uh, to gain seats in this election, and um, obviously it's not happened. Could- but I think the, the sense was that you know um, people are very wary not to take what they see, for example, on Facebook or on Twitter, like too seriously because you know people's sort of own like personal spheres, filter bubbles, that sort yeah. of thing. Um, and I think there was a, a bit of a sense that people, you know, want to kind of like, you know, believe all the, um, like all the positive stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a sort of sense all the way through the campaign that it was actually really hard to gauge, uh, how it was going to go. So yeah, it's pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. Cause people in Australia, you know, kind of, you know, obviously viewing the election campaign and I was like playing my standard, you know, ultra left, uh, what's James Butler's term, sub-debordian, you know, kind of arts bullshit, <laughs> 20 points ahead, Corbyn's going to be smashed, you know, yeah. um, a year ago there's Brexit and Brexit was meant to just be another kind of indicator that class politics has fundamentally shifted to the right, that we're trapped in this horrible battle between like a populist, racist, UKIP-led party and cosmopolitan mm-hmm. liberal technocrats and we can't orientate to that. That was the story, right? And so I swallowed all of that, and I think it was only Navarra Media, particularly Aaron Bastani, that was says like, "No, that's bullshit." How come all the world was wrong and Navarra Media was right? <laughs> I mean, that's that's some high praise. But it's actually but, true, um, right? Like, you know. Like- okay, so I mean, the thing is this: is that you know, within Navarra, there's there is you know, there's a diversity of opinion. Like, so you know, we see ourselves as like. We're, you know, we're radical left, but we're a pluralist organization. And so, like, you know, if your listeners are aware of, you know, Aaron and James's sort of, like, shared history, then, um, you know, James has often been much more skeptical about these things, whereas Aaron, you know, is a total, like, born optimist. And, yeah. you know, across the team, we've got optimists, and then we've got those sort of skeptics. And I think it's healthy, you know, good things come out of the contrast. But... Um, uh, what was I going with this? Like, why? Um, you, like, we have this. Yeah, we, have, yeah. we have this saying in, a, in in Australia. There's an expression called a Dorothy Dixer, 
which is a question you ask someone, which is along the lines of like, can you please tell us why you're so wonderful? Or, you know, something <laughs> along. And it goes back to an Australian parliamentarian who asked questions like that. So this is a Dorothy Dixer. Why was, Nav- right. why was Navarra Media right? Okay, well, in that case, I'll be humble and basically say that the, the rest of the UK press is just fucking terrible. Um, and so, you know... We um, ended up looking pretty good by comparison, I guess. I think the thing is this, in seriousness, is that we've. I mean, you know, I would take it back a bit further. Like, you know, there are things we've had wrong. It was only a couple of years ago that we were sort of, you know, pointing to um, the death of the Labour Party. Mm. Not not only the death of the sort of like centre left or centrist politics triangulation. That's I think that still stands. That's broadly correct, but. Certainly, like the Labour Party as an entity, or the idea of two-party politics, like you know, not just us, but like loads of people on the left were, were basically sort of saying that that's dead. Yeah. I think what's happened in this election is that we've tried to keep our finger on the pulse a bit more um, and tried to understand what what's behind the sort of um, the the sort of like movement in like you know working class and popular opinion um that's you know that, that sort of like groundswell around corbyn whereas a lot of them the the rest of the media in the uk has just com- you know completely like not understood it whatsoever and not even tried to understand it really and so then that's created this real gulf between you know, what people call like the mainstream media outlets, I don't really like the phrase, but what people see is like the mainstream media outlets and then alternative media outlets, uh, which just seem a bit more grounded, I guess. Mm. And certainly the, certainly part of the story we're getting here is that, you know, the, the mainstream media, particularly the tabloid press, ran a really consistent, like kind of febrile anti-Corbyn campaign. And historically, you know, like the, you would think that would work. Right, that this the the kind of the spectre of like Corbyn, uh, you know, some kind of socialist or a Marxist influence in the parliament would terrify people. Doesn't like the you know the Queen, whatever. But that seems to have fallen completely flat. You know, is that a one-off, or does that tell us something about a change in how the media is operating in relation to politics? Well, <clears throat> yeah, that's an interesting question. I think. Um, I think part part of the. the issue is that okay so if you take like the two biggest print media outlets in in the uk um the the sun and the daily mail i mean these are like really hateful rags really uh but they have a, a massive massive readership um particularly among people who are like i don't know the sun like, over 30s and then uh, the daily mail certainly like over 50s <clears throat> um and these have just like been throwing everything they've got uh, but so much of it is like you know what they feel is like personal dirt on Corbyn. So particular, st- particularly stuff around like the IRA and the Troubles mm. in Northern Ireland, and like you know, there's there's also been like this um, uh, generational uh, impact um, and sort of dimension to things, you know. The Sun putting on their front page, oh, you know, Corbyn helped the IRA, you know, blood on his hands, that was an actual headline. Really? Like, that's, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. blood on his hands. Um, and that, that, was, that was the um, uh, the headline of The Sun uh, the day after 
the Manchester um, attack. As oh, well. that's mind blowing. Yeah. So, and what they were alluding to is the fact that the IRA, uh, the last significant attack in, um, or, or you know, event of that that's that nature in um, in Manchester was uh, was an IRA bombing mm. um, in the nineties. And but the thing is, is that to a lot of like you know the millennial generation or whatever, these events don't have the the same sort of um, uh, emotions attached to them. Um, and what you've also seen is that during the the campaign, because of election laws and stuff, the broadcast media, which previously had just been sort of like um, you know relying often on sort of like uh, those on the right of the Labour Party who were briefing against Corbyn, etc. Um, the broadcast media has to rein themselves in a bit, and okay. so I think that what's happened is that through broadcast media, um, the like the policy positions and stuff mm. has actually been able to cut through a little bit, um, and then it's kind of left a lot of the print media kind of looking just like. I mean, really, like, obviously, sort of, like, rabid and unhinged, mm. you know? Like, um, you know, some of the stuff they come out with, is just, they're just sort of throwing everything. I mean, of course, it is still the fact that, you know, the Tories did still win. Um, yeah. but Which is, imp- like, it, it, never have people <laughs> been so excited about a defeat. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, the thing is, is, you know, when everyone... Okay, so when, when the Tories called the election... Um, Everyone was like, oh, for fuck's sake, like, you know, that's, that's it, he's done for, you know, yeah. um, I think, I think there was a thing, there were some people who were like, you know, dead optimistic, and like, okay, we, you know, come on, we can do this, blah, 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 we got five weeks or however long it is, um, but I think in general, people were like, nah, this is going to be it, because whatever happens then, you know, there's going to be, um, this was the feeling at the time, whatever happens, you know, the, the right wing of Labour Party, the Blairites, mm. they're going to come out, um, and you know, depose Corbyn using the defeat as an excuse, yeah. blah 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 blah. But like, he has genuinely confounded expectations. Obviously, the Tories called this because they thought it would be uh, a shoo-in. You know, yeah. they just thought it was going to be a coronation. And then the, the the weird thing about how you know this is a kind of defeat, but feels like a win, is like fucking Tories, man. Like they've done it to themselves. Yeah, it's absolutely fucking ridiculous. Um, and so now Corbyn looks like a fucking Don and then, you know, Theresa May looks like a dickhead. And um, and there's no hiding it. There's no amount of, like, media spin you can put mm. on that. And so, you know, the Sun and the Daily Mail, etc., they also look like idiots. And, um, and, like, what, a week out before the start of the Brexit negotiations, right? And so... Yeah, exactly. and you, you don't even have a government at this point in time because the what's the um, Ulster part? The Democratic Unionist Party won't sign off on the agreement. Like I, you know, I kind of read the Guardian every day, and it seems to be the negotiations yeah. break down on the basis of a one insane right wing demand over another. So this is a week before Brexit, right? This is a pretty serious so, yeah, crisis. So, then. Okay, yeah, definitely. So you know, Brexit negotiations have got to start at the end of the month. Um, I mean, uh, I mean, okay. So we do have a government, like you know, that doesn't have to be a coalition. What the Tories have gone for is to run a minority administration with um, 
confidence and supply deal with the, yeah. the DUP. The DUP are a party in the north of Ireland who are like, they kind of come out of like, um, like sort of like ze- uh, zealous Protestantism, yeah. um, this sort of stuff. I mean, they're, uh, you know, a real like, they're a dodgy bunch. Like, you don't, don't want to go near them, basically. Um, the thing is, is that, you know, there's, uh, what's got to happen is when there's new parliament, um, the government writes the Queen's speech and the Queen's speech is like the um, the kind of like the speech that sets the agenda for the following like parliamentary term. Um, but that has to be passed by a majority in Parliament. And does the and Queen so actually the, present this speech? Is it just called the Queen's speech or does she get this speech, stand up and read it out? Uh, okay, so uh, yeah, she, like, she actually reads it out. It's, yeah, it's something else, Mark. But... Um, I don't quite. Um, okay, so caveat to this is uh, uh, I've I've been on holiday <laughs> and I've just come back today and I've literally just like walked in my house oh, and really? hopped onto Skype. So um, Parliament has been opened now. Yeah. Um, that was uh, what day is? Um, that was must have been yesterday. So Parliament's been open normally. So the opening of Parliament happens when. Uh, you know, the Queen comes and, and does the business and the rest of it. Um, so I don't know what the status of the Queen's speech is now. What last I heard was it had been delayed. Um, but the Queen's speech, uh, which sets out like the uh, the kind of like the program of the government for the next parliamentary term, has um, yeah, last I saw it had been delayed um, because it has to get support of the majority of the House of Commons for it to go ahead. And the DUP, one thing that, you know, can be said about them is that given their, uh, you know, their history um, in the north of Ireland is that they are uh, very, very, like, no-nonsense negotiators. And um, they know what they want and they know how to use the leverage and the rest of it. And it's not like Liberal Democrats, you know, they're not like walkovers. so the problem with that is that then there is a wing of the conservative party that is like more like socially liberal mm. um and they're like looking at the DUP being like what the fuck um so this would be kind of it, it, i mean it's a bit like if um you know like the liberal party was looking to like Pauline Hansen's One yeah. Nation, you know? Which, which, um, this, this sort of situation. which is actually kind of happening. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, also, as well, you know, I, I don't imagine I'd ever say, say but Paul, One Nation looks relatively moderate compared to the DUP. Like, the, it seems yeah. like the, D, the DUP say things that One Nation probably only say in their heads and in their back rooms, if that makes sense. Um, Probably, and you know, I'm not sure whether they don't have an armed wing. has um, former links to paramilitary organisations. Uh, um, well, well they, they, when um, the Howard government kind of cut restricted gun ownership in the 90s, there was lots of kind of like right wing farmers who buried arms on their farms, but that's nothing <laughs> to the same <laughs> to the same level. Wow. So, yeah, okay. but, like, I, but it's that's pretty ad hoc kind of shit. Uh, I guess what I'm super interested in, um, Craig, is I guess kind of you know Navarra's uh, you know as you said a pluralistic you know radical left anti-capitalist project. 
Like, why the kind of orientation to the Labor Party, considering what we kind of know about mainstream social democratic parties, both internally mm. and the failure of that project. Then I'm kind of also interested in what the experience of the campaign was, like what that actually, like from afar, it looks incredible, right? The, you know, the, the way that it mobilised and galvanised people. But I'd also like mm. to get a kind of, you know, broad brushstroke understanding of like, where do you reckon things are here? Not for the Labor Party, but I guess for the kind of anti-capitalist project, if that makes sense. So... Because, um, like, you know, Navarra has really, you know, has turned towards the Labor Party, I guess. What was that like? What was the thinking behind that? And why? Because it must have been a controversial decision or at least um, a surprise, I guess. So, okay, there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, feel free to sort of like uh, push me in any particular direction. I think the thing is this is okay. So if we wind back two years ago, um, so my position in the virus, I'm the senior editor for articles, mm-hmm. um, and uh, two years ago we had an election in 2015, mm-hmm. and in the run up to that general election, um, I published a series of articles uh, that were trying to capture some of the pluralism. Um, of um, the audience as much as anything else. Um, you know, we do have a diversity in the team and, you know, we value that and we try and convey that. But then we also know that we have a very diverse audience and we try to um, cater to everyone, not in the sense of, you know, finding a lowest common denominator, mm. um, but, you know, we uh, try to bring in the, bring those different perspectives into conversation with one another. So in the run-up to 2015 general election, you know, I published a piece on why... Um, why you shouldn't vote, you know, like yeah. as an anarchist, classic anarchist perspective. Yeah. Uh, also published a piece on why you might vote for the Greens. Um, and then I published one piece that was called, I'll never forget it, it was called Seven Reasons Working Class Radicals Should Vote for the Labour Party. Mm. And fuck me, like, <laughs> just like a torrent of shit came down <laughs> on the project. And it's like, the thing is, as well, you know, about I think running any like I remember know, those like, for that piece. Like, I think right, radical left anti-capitalist project is that um, you know you are, and I don't think it's a bad thing, but you are held to a higher standard than you know other media outlets, yeah. basically. Um, and this was kind of one one piece, you know, among you know a torrent of pieces. Uh, and this was, you know, the sort of like the only one that suggested people vote for the Labour Party. And, you know, people really didn't take kindly to it. Um, but, you know, from the from the decision to publish it, it's like, OK, well, this was obviously sort of like written by like a socialist or Trotskyist mm. kind of thing. We do have, you know, uh, sort of like more traditional socialists like in our audience and stuff, you know, might be useful to people. And we published the other article. So, you know, it'd be good to get some conversation going at least. Um, and, you know, one thing about Navarra is, uh, you know, I hope we're not uh, afraid to sort of put the cat among the pigeons. Mm. So um, we, uh, yeah, got a hell of a lot of shit for that. But then, of course, what happened afterwards, um, after the election, was there was a, a leadership election within the Labour Party. And then Jeremy Corbyn sort of like came to the forefront mm. Um and this was like massive. This is like un- to- unprecedented in in the UK. Um, 
And one of the things that people have to understand about Jeremy Corbyn from the perspective of like the sort of social movement radical left is that this isn't like this isn't just some guy who's come from the back benches with like sort of more half decent politics than the rest of them. This is like a guy a lot of people in social movements know, you know, they're familiar with. He's the sort of guy who comes to your picket lines. He's the sort of guy who's been at your demonstrations. Anyone who's been in the student movement over the last seven years in the UK will have seen Jeremy Corbyn or John McDonnell, the shadow chancellor, speaking at a demonstration in favour of free education. Um, you know, the, 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 these are like familiar faces who are sort of known as the kind of, well, previously known as like two, the kind of like, two or like you know um there's like a sort of band of about five of them like mm-hmm. two or two two to five like you know outliers in the labor party and they don't mm-hmm. quite understand why they stay in the party but they're there but if you go um uh, i'd recommend listeners go and find an article on vice um uh from god when is it from um it must be from about 2015 or so yeah. and it's an interview with corbyn and McDonnell, um, and you know, it's it's the framing of the article is you know these these people seem sort of so far outside of what the Labour Party is mm. all about. Blah blah. blah. It's a story. Um, so when when the that late, uh, leadership election was kicking off, uh, you know, Navarra faced with a choice. You know, either we take note of what's happening and sort of document it and try and follow it and you know incorporate those perspectives into our coverage. Or flatly, we we ignore it, and um, obviously we weren't going to like pretend like it wasn't happening yeah. uh, because you know to be frank, it was the, the biggest political upset um, of that year, or probably of like the decade. Um, you know, it's just this like you know this guy going from like whatever two hundred to one outsider or something who is actually like a socialist. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, get, getting that far um, was, you know, was was a sort of sensational story. Now, I, I mean, I would defend, I would defend the project. You know, like some, some, a lot of people, for example, I think would say that we've we've become too sort of like pro labor or something. But you know, if you look back to 2015 when we interviewed Corbyn, you know, we're challenging him from the left, and that's something no other media outlet's done. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people who saw the interview, the original interview we did with him, uh, were sort of pleasantly surprised to see him being pushed uh, from the angles that the radical left would want to see him pushed on, uh, which is very different to basically every other interview um, in the in the sort of like you know corporate and state media. Uh, I guess as well, like you know, from from afar, and I think this comes through in uh, Richard Seymour's writing as well, is that the kind of social movement cycle of struggles, you know, the student movement of what 2011 was was that mm-hmm. the main kick of the student movement, then then the riots, uh, 2010, yeah, 20, then you know the limitations of Occupy, that it seemed like the kind of social movement struggles were maybe kind of stuck or even retreating or not really advancing in 2005. Was this part of the thinking as well, that the roads that Navarra had previously associated with seemed blocked or less promising? Um, I, I, so, uh, in terms of, in terms well, of Navarra, there. that's all right. No, no, that's fine. I, I think, um, okay. So in terms of there's two things in terms of like 
broader analysis, there has been a lot of uh, discussion um, among like the social movement left uh, about like a so-called electoral turn, and this has really like divided people. So some people have said like this is like a you know a sort of weird historical moment that's happening. Uh, we should be opportunistic about it, and we should see what we can get from it. Um, then there are those who are kind of like have become sort of like full on evangelists, um, kind of you know, um, in, the, in basically in much the same way that previous Labour Party activists, um, you know, would have defended the decision yeah. to campaign for Labour Party. And then and then there are those who are much more sceptical, um, who are like, look, you know, we've been here before. Um, uh, we should just, you know, carry on with what we've got. And quite often, to be honest, sort of projected sort of like a zero sum picture of people's like political energies and capacity and say, well, you know, if every time we're talking about Labour Party, we're not talking about something else. Um, I do think in a broader sense that the the rise of Corbyn has has created um, a problem for the anti-capitalist left, in that the the far left has um, has not really known how to deal with it, uh, and that's why I think there's been this uh, such sort of division on the far left about about uh, you know what should be done. Mm-hmm. Um, the the kind of weird thing is that you know I don't I think you'd be hard pushed really. I mean you will get some people, but you would be hard pushed to find anyone on the radical left who like wouldn't want Corbyn to be Prime Minister over May, you know. Mm. I don't think there would be there would be that many people who would literally be like, they are they're exactly the same. Um, although they do exist. Um but then the scale goes from, you know, those people who are sort of like quietly hoping that uh Corbyn uh, is elected Prime Minister. Um and those who are like willing to like go out full on and campaign mm. now the kind of weird thing that um i think uh people forget was that in a before like the the corbyn surge happened uh there was a short-lived green surge yeah um in uh in early 2015 um when people were really trying to um first of all make sure that the green party uh grew to a bigger membership than uh, UKIP, UK Independence Party. Yeah. Um, and then, all, But then that didn't really like translate into votes or, or seats or anything like that because of how our electoral system worked. Well, they, they did get a million votes, which was pretty amazing at the time. Um, I do kind of feel that this, this has something to do with uh, lack of ideas um, on the left and those who have been skeptical of uh, getting involved with the Corbyn project um, have also pointed to like a lack of strategy and I think there's probably a point in there somewhere but then what the thing is is that what a lot of other people who are like more pro the Corbyn project or getting involved with the Corbyn project on whatever basis um, what they would say is well it's not about us it's not about the radical left like this is some weird movement that's developing and suddenly like you know your your mum and your granddad are like going to momentum meetings and talking about like uh, talking about like fucking socialism and yeah. um, you know taxing taxing the one percent or whatever. So um, it's I really hard to get that... right that calibration, isn't it? You know, like 
you know, on one hand, like, yeah. like, like intellectually, I have this idea that, you know, even if Corbyn won the election, would yeah. he be able to put his manifesto in place or would the kind yeah. of, you know, intransigence of the state, capital flight, sink yeah. him like Syriza? And, if, yeah. and even if he was able to implement it, would it actually address the crisis of capital? Because I get the impression that living conditions for working class people in the UK are pretty shit. Um, yes. And would it open the door to to anti-capitalist transformation? And my kind of intellectual position is probably a big no to all of those things. Yeah. Yet you can't just think like those people who are coming out of nightclubs after the election results chanting his name are like morons and dupes, right? Like Yeah, yeah. They're not they're not idiots. They're making some kind of association between this old mm-hmm. guy and a cardigan and the kind of society <laughs> they want, right? I'm not sure about cardigan. I mean, blazer with elbow patches, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, no, totally, you're right. And this is the the thing that like Navarro has tried to uh, tried to understand, right? So, um, all these issues around social movements, around capital flight, things like that. I mean, these are things we've brought up in relation to Corbyn, even directly, like in our interview with him. Um, you know, stuff about whether he's at, his, policy, his um, platform is actually that radical. Yeah. We've talked about that as well. Um, the, but yeah, you know, the, the overriding thing is, and, and you know, um, we've sort of witnessed it even from the perspective of our project, uh, you know, in terms of the new um, sort of like uh, readers, listeners, viewers um, we've gained is that there are an awful lot of people who were previously, uh, you know, not not particularly political um, of all ages, a real sort of like intergenerational thing going on, um, who are suddenly uh, being won over by this project and. You know, I, the reason I say that I think it's created a problem for radical left is that so something like uh, okay, so after the uh, Corbyn's uh, first successful like leadership election, this uh, organisation popped up, Momentum, and this was kind of like his his campaign for Labour leader that transfer uh, um, transformed into um, a, a sort of like a, a like an activist group um now you know um it gets a bit more complicated from there but in a nutshell you know this this organization gained you know uh 10 10 20 000 members like what seemed like overnight and you know was attracting the, the sort of numbers and the demographics um and the backgrounds of of you know a vast number of people that frankly a lot of the organized like social movement and radical left could only like dream of yeah all, the, all those people uh, can't be militant tendency entryists exactly <laughs> and and you know completely not you know like i um i and aaron we went to the the world transformed which was momentum's sort of parallel festival uh to the labor party conference last year and um even and, that's a cool know, name well transformed yeah. yeah i know right and so um you know when when that when that happened, you know, you saw like the real sort of like uh, cross section of people who are interested in this movement because you had like queues around the fucking block um, with you know young people, uh, single parents, mm. old people, you know, 
all sorts of um, not only ethnicities but like nationalities and migrant statuses as well like um, you know a real sort of like diverse crowd all turning out to see see what this mm. whole thing's about and then you've seen that again when you know Corbyn's uh, been sort of like campaigning around the country this time around so in terms of to go back to the, the previous question like um, in terms of like Navarro's orientation I mean I think our, our, our basic point of agreement is like we can't ignore this. Yeah. Um, and then within that, we do have, uh, you know, diversity of opinions about what, what we feel about it. Um, in terms of, you know, like, say our videos or our podcasts or whatever, you know, our perspective has always been that we are keen for, um, you know, our presenters to like have sort of free reign to say what they want to say. Um, and so I, I think what's happened is that you know that some some have been like optimists and some have been skeptics. I think everyone would you know has been sort of like uh, broadly like you know supportive of um, of uh, uh, Corbyn's camp campaign during this general election, and then but then like fucking everyone. I don't care who you are, like on the radical left, like everyone was rejoicing and lolling at the Tories on like on June the 8th from the evening of June the 8th I'm not, um, sure, I'm not sure if you get any impression about how global this was as well you know that you know I was at the museum with my eldest son like in between looking at the right. dinosaur exhibition like checking Twitter checking my phone and like ecstatic <laughs> you know at, and at people in Australia <laughs> like there's a kind of there's a, it says something disproportionate about the world, right? Like an English election has this huge influence where there's probably really exciting social movements all over the place that we don't pay much attention to. But it's resonated globally too where, you know, that kind of crack in that despairing hegemony that's nothing is possible, that not losing as badly as everyone thought you were going to lose has had that effect. But also the joy of just seeing, like, all those idiots in the political class prove to be idiots as well isn't it there's something there's something real and definitely you know and not with the result being trump you know that they're shown to be morons but in a way that it kind of orientates to to you know uh, an an emancipatory project in some sense yeah i mean i think i think you know if this election if, if this result was happening in 2020 so so like you know, we now have this thing called the Fixed Term Parliament Act, and so uh, as of 2010, um, elections were supposed to be every every five years. Previously, there was leeway, and the government yeah. could could call them sort of when they wanted, basically. Um, so, if this was happening in, in 2020 as was scheduled, I think people would be feeling a little less ecstatic. The yeah. thing is, is that you know, until six weeks ago. Everyone assumes that the Conservatives were going to be in power till 2020 anyway, um, and sort of having their way in the rest of it. So, of course, them calling us a snap election, um, you know, it was like a political manoeuvre that they just like obviously massively backfired. Um, And so now it's not just the Conservatives who look like idiots, but also, you know, the lobby journalists who completely failed to understand what's happening and have like no contacts uh you know within like the corbyn administration um it's the the uh print media 
um, you know, got like egg on their faces because for all of their smearing, they just, you know, did not have the impact they wanted to and still don't understand what's just happened. And then you've got like, um, uh, you know, Theresa May, who is going to be out like any to any moment, really. Um, I mean, and then you've just got like these great stories coming out about like how uh, there's one in the Independent about, you know, when the uh, exit polls came out um it reported that conservative party uh, conservative like campaign headquarters um fell silent and uh one um uh, staffer or, or activist was um uh you know physically wretched and then threw up you know it was actually actually vomited from the result and then that like Theresa may who was like crying in the toilet i feel like, bad i feel <laughs> I feel bad about how much Schadenfreude I get from that. <laughs> you know, like, I, know, I, like, I know it's like what no, kind of what kind of person I am that I enjoy hearing. All you know, you hear about Rupert Murdoch storming yeah. out of. You know, that's I think I'm not. I, it might actually have been you on um, social media just after the election. I think posted the quote from the end of Capitalist Realism, right? Where you know Mark Fisher finishes the book with something along the lines that says, you know, it only takes something small, because everything seems so shit, it only takes something small for suddenly this possibility to open up. Do you, do you think yeah, that's, do you know, you, do you think that's you actually been... You see a glimmer through the sort of, like, dark curtains of despair, you know? Like, yeah. um, do I think actually what... Do, do you think that's actually being played out? Is that how people are now feeling, that... They've like even though yeah, Coleman left the, lost the election, so. what people think is possible has shifted. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like if all we get from Corbyn is that shifting of the horizon, yeah, that's something, right? Yeah, and, I do think so. And I don't mean that in an SWP. Let's ambulance uh-huh. chase after it and recruit everyone to the party. I just mean like in terms of what people who are talking, you know, people who have either whatever level of they're involved in the campaign or just watched it, something goes, shit, something more is possible. Yeah. That, that seems to uh, me to be super important. I'd be really interested to see if, if you think that's actually what's being played out that you can see. So, I mean, yes, basically. And, you know, I think that one thing you have to understand is that um, for the last two years, anyone who is, like, favourable towards Jeremy Corbyn... Um, has been written off as like an imbecile yeah like like just completely like written off like oh you're like a you know loony lefty is a you know the popular phrase or you know um, you're just some like a uh, political zealot or you know if you're an old person then you're you, you know who supports corbyn you must be like um you know like a confused hippie or if you're a young person who supports corbyn you must be as naive idealist and um like this uh, has really you know what's been happening is that there's been uh, a growing um, well groundswell I guess is you know if that was there's been this sort of like growing groundswell uh, around not just Corbyn but like the the politics of anti-austerity for a long time Mm. Um, and you know, austerity, like, is it a headline in the Times uh, a couple of days ago, Theresa May announcing that austerity is over. Um, Which I guess Because is... the, 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 the consent, if you go back to 2010, 
there was widespread consent for some degree of austerity. Mm. Everyone, everyone had bought into this idea that there would have to be some cuts, that there yeah. was no alternative. Whereas now, uh, an alternative has been presented. Now, of course, you and I both know it's not the most fucking radical alternative. Although, but although, um, by contrast with what we've had and the, uh, you know, the line that of the media has been trying to whip up and reinforce, it does feel radical. It does feel radical to people, and all those people who sort of lent their support over the last two years to not just Corbyn, but like the politics of anti-austerity as sort of embodied by this moment, um, have been vindicated. Mm. You know, uh, it's actually uh, it's actually the, the detractors who now look like the the idealists and the idiots yeah. and the dreamers. Um, and you know, as I said before, like you know, this hasn't been um, some sort of coalition of the existing left. This has been people like, like my mum, my actual yeah. mum, like <laughs> you know, who uh, previously was you know kind of like instinctively like um, you know broadly of of the left in that mm. sort of like sense of like equality and fairness, you know, and sort of working class justice way mm. but uh not you know wouldn't sort of necessarily pin her colors to the mass or identify with a you yeah. know a mainstream political movement or whatever um and now she's like you know i went to go see her a couple of weeks ago and we were in a taxi and she was like imploring the taxi driver to go to a corbyn rally and see it for himself and i'm yeah, just like, amazing, looking at my it? mom looking at my mom being like <laughs> well, you know, when did this happen? This is like something else. Like her, she, her cover photo on Facebook is a picture of her and Jeremy Corbyn. Like, That's right. Because I guess it's the yeah. other thing, you know, for those of us that like have whatever level of criticism of the Corbyn project, right? It's not like we're doing things that are having anywhere similar amount of resonance with people. Right, and I don't think that's because people are idiots, but I think it's because people will—they've got to believe that you've got a chance of winning, and that it's somehow viable and possible. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that—that—that that, that is the case. I mean, obviously, you know, there's the the like material or structural elements as well. Like the yeah. Labour Party has a hell of a lot of money, mm -hmm. and you know, Navarra Media or you know. Um, uh, Solidarity Federation or yeah. Plan C or um, like the Socialist Party or whoever, like they don't have like loads less, of money. They have less money. Um, yeah, um, far less money. Um, then uh, you know, but then then of course you know, Corbyn being the leader of Labour Party means that uh, in terms of mainstream political reporting, it, it cannot go. I mentioned and so yeah. the amplification of what's happening is just much much uh, bigger than um, you know most of us on the far left can dream of and yeah. so you know I, I'm not I don't think it's necessarily just that uh, those ideas are resonating and our ideas aren't uh, because you know I do like to sort of hold, hold out hope and I don't think we should do ourselves a disservice either but um, you know the, the fact of it is you know through whatever dynamics like Corbyn, the movement around his leadership of the Labour Party, like, uh, has 
um, galvanised a massive, massive amount of people. And I think what many of us feel is that you either have to try and uh, engage and intervene in that kind of in, you know, um, on the level, basically, you know, on the level that people are at. Um, In an honest way too, right? In an honest way, and that's exactly it, you know, and I, I hope that's what we've tried to do with Navarra, you know, we've, we've come across the thing as we found it, it's thrown up a lot of surprises, you know, when there have been surprises, we've been happy to say we've been surprised by this, this is mm. not what we expected, um, and I think that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's the best you can do, really. Um, so what happens now? So what happens now? Well, who the fuck knows, huh? <laughs> like, no. Well, I guess that's no, one of the things election results shows, right, is it? everything's up in the air and unpredictable, which is great in itself. Totally, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I think now what's happening is um, uh, a hell of a lot of people are feeling vindicated at last. And uh, I think, you know, one of the ways that I saw this election, like I've, you know, I've always been uh, sceptical of the Labour Party and I've been sceptical of Corbyn too. But um, I do think that um, well, you know, whether we're, we're favourable or sceptical of Corbyn or whatever, this this moment, you know, as it's been played out, um, you know, in the way it has, i.e., like on the national stage, has been a massive vindication for a hell of a lot of people who are basically concerned with. Um, you know the material conditions of the working class in Britain. Mm. Um, so you know, I think people are feeling quite buoyed by that. I think now, obviously, that there will have to be um, sort of big conversations uh, on. Well, that, that have happened, but will continue on the radical left um, about orientation and uh, you know, sort of intervention or or, or how uh, various groups can like. Uh, relate to this um, I think one of the things that people are expecting as well is that uh, there, there could be another um, general election sooner than we think Okay. Um, and so I think there's a, a lot of people are not quite willing to like go sick you know job done see you in five years kind of thing I think quite a few people actually probably will try and pour their energies into the Corbyn project a bit longer, A, to make sure that he's not deposed from inside the Labour Party, um, and B, because uh, I think people all across the, the sort of like, the, uh, I don't like the, the analogy, but like you know, the sort of big tent of the left, mm. um, have been sort of surprised by this and sort of pleasantly surprised yeah. by this. So... Um, I think that there will be a period in in which people are trying to sort of um, make the most of this sort of like sense of uh, victory and sort of make the most of like the sort of disorientation of the right at the minute. And, uh, and exactly in, as you said earlier, like the kind of like the post Brexit uh, you know consensus um, has you know really been smashed. Um, and in the context yeah. where you know a return of global crisis in the next couple of years is certainly something we should at least be putting into our thinking, right? You know that yeah. 
you know, even the World Bank report the other day, the like State of the Global Economy report, whatever it's called the other day, was titled Fragile Recovery, and I think the emphasis was on fragile. Um, I, I guess as well, it's like how much, you know, so the Conservatives are in disarray. You know, I grew up, because um, I'm in my late 30s now, watching BBC documentaries that were always about the English deep state overthrowing left-wing governments. That seemed to be like <laughs> a thing that, you know, B- not documentaries, I mean BBC miniseries that were made... Like, how how serious do you think the possibility for reaction is? Obviously, this is this is a real challenge to the ruling class as well. Uh, from within the state? Yeah. Or? To finish with wild speculation. With wild speculation. I mean, I think... I mean, <laughs> fuck. Like, uh, I think... Um, but, because I guess... I, okay, guess I, I think two, two things. One, one thing is that... Uh, you know, in terms of like, um, sort of, if you like, radical measures against like uh, the Corbyn administration, um, that that would have to wait and you know to see if that actually happens. I mean, you know, that this has been a sort of this has 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 been felt as a victory, yeah. um, but obviously Corbyn's not yeah, in government. Exactly. Um, but you know, we do have a lot of parallel things happening at the minute, so. Um, you know the government is trying to um, end uh, things like um, encrypted messaging services. Um, Theresa May has been really keen on um, what's been referred to as the Snoopers Charter, which would give the state unprecedented uh, access into online uh, communications. Right. Basically, force force companies like WhatsApp to um, you know to hand over. Messages. Uh, this is, you know, irrespective of the fact that, you know, by nature of encryption, WhatsApp can't actually read your messages. It's kind of ridiculous. But the the political will is there, even yeah. if the details haven't haven't been worked out. You know, Theresa May has been saying for a long time she wants to end, um, you know, the internet as we know it, uh, and you know, basically um, introduce new measures that would, um, you know, make. Uh, the internet in the UK, a very different place, and uh, often this is done within the sort of language of anti-terror as mm. well. And likewise, um, you know, a, a big uh, issue at the minute, particularly in universities, is the government's um, prevent strategy. Uh, prevent is um, a, a a duty placed on um, staff and educators uh, to report. Um, uh, students who they suspect may be um, uh, at risk of radicalization mm. um, and this is you know predominantly um, black and Muslim students um, and, and you know obviously like a, a lot of racial um, profiling yeah uh, but has also been used against like environmental activists for example oh, so, I guess, yeah, I guess we shouldn't forget just how already post-liberal, for a lack of a better term, contemporary states in the North are, and just, yeah. you know, <laughs> what they're already doing, I guess. Uh, well, yeah, Craig, definitely. I think we should probably wrap it up soon. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you really wanted to, to comment on? Otherwise, I think it's been it's been really fascinating. Um... So it's like <laughs> general election later this year, Corbyn wins, then there's a universal basic income... Then fully automatic luxury communism by 2020. Yeah, that's a dream, right? Yeah. 
All right, I'll put it in my cal- I'll put it in my calendar. Do it. Well, you know, we'll have a we'll have a live stream on the go, so just make sure you tune in. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, do you have a Twitter handle that I should put to the, on this as well, Craig? If people want to get in contact you or celebrate Navarra's work, anything you know like that. Do you know what? I don't actually. I, d- I deleted Twitter about a year ago, um, having decided that it's kind of like being at a party where you realize you don't like anyone. Um, and <laughs> and you know, a lot of people you. seem to agree with me. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> they're yelling at and you I, big I, shit. I realize that all my friends who are on Twitter like are also my friends not on Twitter. Yeah. So um, I would just recommend that people go to at Navarra Media and uh, also subscribe to us on whatever, whatever podcasting platform they get I, I, I think people should do that as well. As I, th- I think I've said this to you before. It's um, Navarra, Navarra's had a real impact amongst comrades in Australia as well. And so if people aren't you know, listening to the radio show every week and reading the articles, then they're doing themselves a disservice. So, Craig, thanks for um, making some time today to join me on Living the Dream. I think that's been really fantastic and I um, hope you enjoy your return from your holidays thank you very much thanks for having me Must be someone giving orders. orders.